Um, today, I, um, we're, we're doing something a little different. Obviously, you can see up here we have something just a little bit different going on. Um, um, I have a friend with me today, he and his lovely wife. And um, with all that's been going on in our nation and all that's been going on in our country, not, not only with COVID, um, but then with the, with the um, tr- I call it tragic, but horrific uh, death of George Floyd, um, I really became burdened. And, uh, and, and I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of burdens, <laughs> but uh, it, it, I watched the video and it, I was overwhelmed. Um, I was overwhelmed, and I thought, God, um, I need to do something, and I don't know what I need to do, but I need to do something, and um, I started praying about what I needed to do, um, and, uh, and out of that, I, I called a friend of mine, Pastor Eric Love, um, and I said, hey, um, I, don't, I don't know... Uh, what, what this would look like exactly, but I, I want you to come and I'd like for us to sit and talk. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you why I, I wanted him to come and sit and talk. Because what I've become aware of, back in about 2016, we did a series called You Ask For It. And in that series, uh, we had a lot of questions about racism and race. Um, and I did a message, and I'd actually ask another pastor who we know to come and be a part of that series, and he wasn't able to come, and he's a respected pastor in our city, and he wasn't able to come, and it left me speaking on racism. So then I had to go prepare to speak on racism um, as, a, as a white man. And, um, and God began to do something in that moment and over the last few years, God has begun to open my eyes to understand some things. Um, and I'm going to give you my disclaimer first. Uh, we're, we're today having a conversation, and we're going to talk about some of the issues of race and show, social justice. And we're not scripted in what we're going to say. Um, and I don't even ask that you agree with everything I say. I ask that you listen to it. And you may say, I don't agree with that. I'm totally okay if you don't agree. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Don't judge me because I've become aware of some things that I wasn't always aware of and come to understand some things that I didn't always understand and I'm still learning. And uh, a friend of mine who's in our church asked me when all of this happened, he said, um, he said, I don't, I want to be part of the solution, but I don't know that I understand the problem. Would you help me understand the problem? Now, this obviously was a white man. And by the way, when I talk about people, if I use white or black, it's only because it's pertinent to the conversation. One of the things you need to ask yourself is if you identify someone's color when it's not pertinent to the conversation, you need to ask yourself, why do I do that? I was around a pastor friend one time, and every time he had a conversation with a person of color, he identified their color, but it was never pertinent. And I finally just said, hey, have you ever noticed that um, if you're in a grocery store and you meet a person of color and you're telling the story, you'll say, hey, I met you know, this black lady in the store, et cetera. And I said, but if you met a white person, you don't seem to say, I met a white lady in the store. Have you ever wondered why? 
And, and so anyways, back to that wasn't my point, but, um, but, but this gentleman was a white man. And I said, yeah, I'd be glad to sit down and talk with you about it. And um, then I realized if I sat down and talked with him about it, it would be a white man trying to explain to a white man some of the issues that have faced people of color in our country, which then I felt very inept. So I called my friend, Pastor Eric, and I said, I want you to help me understand and I want you to help our church understand some of the things that are facing the black community in our country. Would you be willing to do that? And he said, yes, sir, I'd be willing, I'd be, I'd be willing to come, Pastor. I'd be willing to come. Actually, he just calls me Marty, but we don't call each other Pastor when we're eating lunch. We're just, <laughs> but I, but I, I, I honor him. And so, Pastor Eric, I'm going to ask you to come. And uh, I, try, I tried to get Miss Katrina, and she said no. Hey, thank, so, you for yes, thank you. Thank okay. you. Just we'll sit down here, and we're just going to sit and have a conversation. And um, and I want to say first of all, and I just told you there, but they might not have heard. But thank you for coming. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, Thanks thank for you for inviting. Here. Thank you for having this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think and, it's and, th and thank y'all for listening to it. This is going to be really cool. Yeah, I, someone asked me if I was nervous today, and I said, "As nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs." <laughs> well, and um, <laughs> because and you have to hear our hearts on this. Um, I we have a predominantly white church, and that's what I told you. Yeah, and and I, I never wanted just. And of course, we have a predominantly white city, really. Right. Um, but I wanted a church that was multicultural. And I think that's the heartbeat of the majority of our church. But I think there's some things that, that we, we don't understand. And, uh, and so today, what, what we're doing today, if I held that up, Eric, Pastor, Pastor Eric, I want to, because, and this is what I want you to know about Pastor Eric. Now, Pastor Eric, <laughs> there's a lot of things I want them to know about you. <laughs> But um, Pastor Eric's an incredible pastor, incredible man of God. Thank you, sir. Um, pastor's an incredible church. Thank you. With some of the most incredible people I've ever met. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's, he's also served in our military. Yeah. Um, and I, I just so many things about you. I, I'd, like, I'd just like to sit for people to hear about you. But... But here's what I thought about what we're doing. If I held that up, what does what does that what do you see? I see a sign that says "purified water." Yeah, and I don't know which camera. Can you zoom in on that? And if I held that up, um, yeah, right there. There we go. But if you zoom in, do y'all see what that? What does that say? Oh, you can't see it's blurred. There it is. Yeah, purified. You know what's crazy though is you saw purified water, but. What I see is uh, we love to hear about your members, Mark, experience. Because I have a different perspective than what he has. And we can both talk about this bottle of water, and you're going to keep talking about what you see, and I'm going to keep talking about what I see. Yeah. And what I feel like the white church needs to do is maybe get out of our seat and walk around and view it from a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And that was why I invited you. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. <laughs>
And I'll let you say anything you want to say, and then I'm going to start asking you questions. Sure. Well, uh, first of all, um, I, I believe that God is doing something in East Texas. I said that yesterday at the courthouse prayer. Uh, I believe God has his hand on East Texas. I believe that. I've believed that for a long time. And I believe that that God wants to use the church. And I pray that, pray that you, guys, you guys hold that same uh, belief that God wants to use the church to show the world uh, his love and, and his grace. And I think that there's a movement now that's happening in the church where God is, is shaking the church. He's shaking the sleeping giant. And God is saying to us, he says, I need you to be an example to the world of my love because I believe that, that Jesus is soon to return. Now, I don't know. I'm not one of those guys that puts a date on that, but, but I believe that God is soon to return. And I believe that, that there's an end time harvest that has to happen. I pray that you hear that prophetically. There's an end time harvest that God, is, that God is waking us up to. And I believe just before his return that there are people now who are lost that God's going to win them to him through the love of Jesus that's being shown in the church. Absolutely. Thank you. That's incredible. So I want to give some disclaimers, and I'll talk to you about these. So because, And, and I told Pastor Edgar, I'll be very honest, I told Pastor Edgar, I said, I know where white people get stuck. And, uh, and what I'm learning, I'm asking him, and I'm saying, help me understand where the African community or the black community, where, where, where are their issues? But I want us to hear. So I just want to explain, because we're going to talk about some it's a difficult conversation it's uncomfortable so we're all going to be uncomfortable for a few minutes but i just need you to understand a couple of things i mean as i said pastor eric's a respected pastor so he's a respected man uh i met him before you were pat well you may have been a pastor i met you playing basketball yeah. um but um but i just i want to say because we're going to talk about some things like black lives matter we're going to talk about um, some of the issues. And so I just want to give some disclaimers up front that number one, and, and Pastor Eric was leading yesterday at our courthouse. We had a time of prayer. Thank God for Judge Stout and, yeah. and, and for calling on the church to pray. And as you said, the church, this is why we're here because the church needs to lead something. Yeah. yeah. Dr. King said that the problem with the church, and I'm paraphrasing, but is that the church tends to be the taillights instead of the headlights. Yeah. And we yeah. tend to wait until things are already in motion and then say, well, maybe we should get involved. Yeah. And I think that there needs to be a change in the heart of our nation. Yeah. And the church is tasked because we carry the message of reconciliation and hope and repentance right. and change and transformation. Right. And you can't legislate yeah. change. Right. Can't legislate it. And, and so, um, but I just want to say that as we talk about these things, Pastor Eric, we, we prayed for our police officers. Sure. So we're not, we're not, we believe there are wonderful police officers. Most of our police, wouldn't you say most of I agree, of, I agree. Absolutely. Oh, uh, we have friends that serve on the police force here in locally. Indeed. So we're not for defunding the police. We're not saying that police officers are evil right. at all. That's not what we're saying. Um, and so I just want to put some things out there so no one gets stuck. But yeah. when we started talking, you told me how you grew up. Mm -hmm. And then after you told me that, you said, I bet something like, I bet you wouldn't have guessed that sure. you would have thought I grew up differently. Yeah. And I would have, because yeah. if you would have said without knowing, if you said, Marty, how do I, how you think I grew up? I would have thought, you know, Eric, maybe you, your dad was, you know, maybe he's a factory worker, maybe he's a salesman, I don't know, something like that. He probably yeah. grew up in a neighborhood, you know, and 
But tell, tell them, and, and I want to make the point that before he tells you, well, no, I just want you to tell them. Tell them how you grew up. <laughs> well, um, I grew up in Greenwood, Mississippi, uh, and right after, um, well, not, not right after, but when slavery was abolished, of course, um, there was a, a different type of slavery that happened. It was called sharecropping. Many of you may have heard of that or kind of have an idea of what sharecropping is. Well, my family were sharecroppers. Um, and my first job I ever had was chopping cotton. We lived in a three-room house. A three-room house. And there was one time where... Not, not three-bedroom. Not three-bedroom. No, no, no. Three-room three house. Yeah, three-room house. And the house that we lived in didn't belong to us. It belonged to the, uh, the white man that owned the farm. And in order for us to continue to live in the house, our, whole, our entire family had to work the farm. So all of my uncles uh, had to drive the tractors. Uh, my, my grandmother had to, to sit. My aunts had to go clean, clean their, their, their house. And the kids, so instead of having summers, our, we had to go out into the fields. So we didn't get a chance to go on summer vacations and uh, go spend a night at our friends' houses. We, we, didn't, we didn't have that luxury. We had to go into the fields to work. And so we would work 40, 50. And how old were you? Uh, I guess I was about 10, 11, uh, somewhere in there, 10, 11. They, they, it, when, when you were old enough, when you were old enough to, to, to use a hoe, that was when they put you in the field and you started to work. And, and they, how many, did you say how many people lived in your three-room house? No, we, there, there was about 19 people um, that lived in a three-room house. Um, because because in, in those days, uh, in order for you to, um, to go purchase a house, you had to go through a white man to do that. And if the white man didn't write, didn't sign off on it, you couldn't do it. And so in order to keep, in order to keep families oppressed, they wouldn't sign off. I was telling Pastor Marty that there was a time my grand, we needed another car because the car that we had was really old. It was dilapidated, broke down. And uh, we need to go get another car. My granddad had saved up enough money to go purchase a car. But when he went to purchase the car, the, the, the guy that owned the car lot wouldn't allow him to, to, to buy the car, although he had the cash to do it. And so what he had to do was come back and get our landowner, the guy that owned the land and owned our house, he had to get him to make the phone call uh, to call up there to, to, let, um, to get permission to sell my grandfather the car. And um, even when he sold the car to him, he had to put the title in the landowner's name so that if my granddad or my family ever decided that we, we didn't want to work on the farm anymore, that he could take the car from my grandfather, although my grandfather paid, uh, paid full price for it. So, yeah, so what I told when, when Eric was telling me this story, um, because you're not a lot older than me. Maybe a few years. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe just, we'll just say just a few. Just a few, yeah. But um, I, I said, as he told me the story, I said, well, that's slavery. Yeah. And I said, I guess you were free to leave. Your family was free to leave. They just couldn't take their house or their car or, the car, or any yeah. of their stuff. Right. And it's really hard to get ahead when you're, I don't know if you can do the math, but if, if you take 19 people and they work a 60-hour week, so 60 times 19, and then they're paid $50 for week. the week. $50 a week. I think if you divide that out, it breaks every labor law that we have. Yeah. And when you said that, what I realized is this was, this was after mm -hmm. the Civil Rights Act. Sure. 
This is in the 70s. So it's 10 years yeah. after. This is not in the, the 1800s. And I mean, this is, it just, it, I, it just, I just was, I'm still blown away. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know about you, but I think as a white person, imagine for a minute that you had cash to buy a car and you go to them and they say, we're not going, this post-civil rights, post-voting rights act, yeah. right? And they say, unless you can get a person of color, let's put ourselves in a different, sh different let's turn the bottle around. Yeah. Unless a black man's going to vouch for you, we're not going to sell you the car. We don't care how much money you have. That's right. And then, we won't, and then we'll refuse to title it in your name even though your sweat made the money to pay for the car. That's right. And, and here's what I'm afraid we think, that the Civil Rights Act um, did away with racism. No. But it didn't. Right. Well, well that, that's, that's a part of what God wants to do in the church, I believe, because in our nation, 87% of churches in our nation are filled with 80% of one race. And so our, 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 our churches are segregated, but sometimes we, st we seem to think that we still don't have a, race, a racism problem, although our churches are segregated. And so we, uh, th there has to come a day that, that we say, you know what, let, let, me, let, me, let me step back and let me look at this. And let, let's, really see, let's really see what's, what's happening. Because nobody wants to hear the word racism. Nobody wants to hear that. Let, let me, and, and a disclaimer, black people can be racist as well. Black, black people can be, can discriminate and have those same, those same biases as well. Um, but we just need to look at it in all of our hearts in light of what God is doing in our world today. Because sometimes we just don't want to hear that word. Nobody wants to be labeled that. But, but I, I wrote down some definitions and I'll share those definitions with you in just a moment. I think, I think that's going to bring some clarity and just kind of help us to see our hearts and see what God is doing or what God desires to do uh, in our church. And, and I think it's, I think here's why the church has to lead it. And people, we may not understand this. You may not. But um, the, the church was part of the problem sure. for a long time. Um, there was a doctrine in the church, the doctrine of Ham, mm -hmm. which was widely taught as a doctrine which justified slavery. Yeah, that's right. And, and I won't go through the whole doctrine, but Noah's sons, he had three sons, uh, Shem, his son, his name means name, but uh, Japheth, his his name means light, and Ham, his name means uh, uh, black. Mm -hmm. And because of uh, Ham sins against his father, and and a curse comes upon Ham. Not actually Ham, actually his son Canaan, uh, that he would be a servant, and that was perverted. I'll use that word, so that white people could justify slavery. And I don't know, people don't know this, but the reason there's a Southern Baptist Convention yeah. is because those Christians wanted to keep their slaves. Well, well the, the reason there's a black church is because traditionally white people would not allow black people to come to church with them. And so I know when we were growing up, we couldn't go to a white, we could not set foot in a white church. So we as a community, or well, wasn't a community, it was just people that, that just lived in, I guess, around the, the fields where we lived, um, we had to put our money together and we just kind of built this, this little 
a frame building and we we just started having church there we we had to build our own pews we had to um to get our own wood we had to build our so all of our pews were hand built and we built them uh, well my, my uncles and grandfathers built them but we couldn't go to the 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 brick nice air-conditioned church down the street we had to kind of build our own so again that wouldn't be a black church um if if white churches had, had, had been integrated during that time. Yeah, we, we have a young lady on our staff, um, uh, Arian, who just got engaged, by the way. Congratulations to her. And I don't know if she's here or she'll be here later, but um, <laughs> we were talking to someone else, and she grew up Church of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. I grew up Assembly of God. Mm-hmm. And we made the comment, they're the same. And, and I can't remember one of the other pastors and one of the other staff was sitting there said, what, what do you mean they're, they're the same? I said, well, when the revival at Azusa Street, those churches were born out of the revival at Azusa Street, which was in the early 1900s, so about, about 100 years ago. And um, I said, but white people and black people couldn't go to church together. Yeah. So doctrinally, they were about the same. And that's why we sing all the same songs. Like I'll start singing a song, she knows the song. Now the difference is, I was in the white church, so we clap on the one and the three. Yeah, that's and right. That's she, right. She claps on the two and the four. Yeah. But it's still soon and very soon we're going to meet the king. Yeah. It's still the same song, but we clap on the different beats. But what, what I want you to I want you to hear that the things we're talking about are not hundreds of years ago. Right. Right. And the civil, in my opinion, the Civil Rights Act did not change the heart. And it didn't change all the systems, right. and it didn't change the reason some of the systems were created. Exactly. I mean, honestly, the Civil Rights Act didn't end racism. It just forced racism underground. Yeah. That's right. And so, yeah, let's talk about terms. Well, yeah, or, well, no, say what you want to say. Yeah, well, well <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> but... It's important to note that, that we're fighting a spirit of division. So just, just kind of keep that in mind. Our, our, our battle is not with each other. Um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But there, there's, there's principalities. There, there are spirits that are territorial spirits that are over Longview. And I'm not trying to get super, super deep, but I hope you guys understand that. that there, there's, there's, there's spirits that are trying to divide us politically. There, there are political divisions. Um, there, there, are, there are spiritual divisions. We're kind of divided that way. And then there's, then there's racial division. And so we all have to be on the same team to fight against racial division. Because I, I don't know if you you know it or not but but when we get to heaven like like if you don't like other races right now you're gonna be messed up when you get to heaven i mean you're gonna be like whoa you talking about that's gonna be a culture shock when you get to heaven jack you know <laughs> because <laughs> so 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 god wants us to demonstrate demonstrate heaven here on this earth and that's that's what he's doing and so we have to embrace that we all have to embrace that um I heard Pastor Marty mention Black Lives Matter, and I know that sometimes people get offended by that. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to agree with that. Well, well Black Lives Matter that 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 name only offends you if you don't understand how many years we've been told that Black Lives don't matter. It only offends you if you don't know how many years of oppression that black people have had to endure and said, you don't matter. If my granddad goes with his money and they said, you don't matter. This guy over here matters, you don't. Um, 
if once you understand just the years and years and years of this happening, then you start to say, okay, wait a minute. Let, let me let me relook at this. Let me look at this different. That, that, that was a man, I, I, I heard this the other day, and I, I don't remember where it was, but that was a man at a casino um, or it, it was some big outside party. He took a assault rifle, killed like 50 or 60 people, and, uh, you know, was a white guy. And, and so they were comparing that to Black Lives Matter. They said, wait a minute. Black Lives Matter hadn't killed anybody. They haven't killed anyone. This, these people are just saying, well, they're, they're, they're trying, to, trying to change the narrative and say, you know what? Black lives really do matter. Now, that doesn't mean that no, no one else does. I, I, I share with Pastor Marty, if I go into a neighborhood and a house is on fire, does all the other houses matter? Sure they do. But what house are we focusing on? We're focusing on the one that's burning. Because right now, right now, right now, uh, 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 black America is hurting right now. I liken it to I liken it to a football game. If if you were if you had two sons that played on the same football team, and uh, one of your son gets face masks. I mean, they grab his face mask, they pull his helmet, and he's looking out of his ear hole. And and you as a parent, what are you doing? You're in the stands. You're standing up. You're yelling at the ref, and you're saying, "Yo, the ref doesn't make the call." Well, you're you're furious. Okay, he straightens up his helmet. He digs the dirt or the uh, dirt out of his out of his helmet. He goes to the next play. Next play, he gets face masks again you're on the stands and you're looking and you're saying yo ref what does anybody see this he's looking out of his ear hole for heaven's sake is anybody going to make the call nobody makes the call referees don't say anything okay the very next play your other son gets face mask you as a parent no call is being made how do you feel now as a parent and both of your sons are getting face masks. Both of your sons are about to get their neck broke and nobody's making the call. It won't be long before you as a parent are getting up out of your seat and you're going to be on that field and you're going to have a conversation with those coaches and you're going to be on that field having a conversation with the referees. What we're seeing in America is black people who've been on the sideline watching these things happen and the call not being made. Yeah. Yeah. We're watching our young sons and daughters be killed and the call is not being made. Yeah. And all, all you're seeing now is black people saying, we're not gonna stay in the bleachers. We can't stay in the bleachers and keep watching these things happen. And so now we're on the field now saying, this, this can't continue to happen. What happened with George Floyd, unfortunately, this is my opinion. And, and when you look at, and I did a lot of research, in fact, I, I was talking to Pastor Eric, I'm like, I got a list of about 30 names that, in my opinion, if they were white, they're still alive. Yeah. Because when you, and that may offend you, but I, I, I did some research. And when you look at names like Breonna Taylor. Yeah. Um, when you look at Trayvon Martin and you, you talk about Ahmaud Arbery. Mm -hmm. Um, Ahmaud Arbery was killed for doing something I've done I don't know how many times right yeah go we for, all have go for a jog and walk through a new construction house yeah. live the American dream and continue your jog but yeah. he was chased down by two white men and killed that's right and those men didn't immediately go to jail right they went home that evening and crack, cracked open the cold one yeah and I think this is, this is the moment in our history 
where, like you said, the black community is trying to say, hey, it's not that these things are new. It's just they're first, it's now we have cell phones. That's right. Now we have video, whereas these things happened without video for years. And the black community is saying, this is what we've been dealing with. Yeah, the whole time. The whole time. And the call's not being made. And, and, un, and I don't mean this, I really don't want to offend, but ignorant white people will ask questions like, well, what did he do? Right. Whatever he did, our Constitution says he has a right to a trial by a jury of his peers. That's right. Yeah. It is not that he can be tried and executed on the street. And, and when, you, when we say Black Lives Matter, because I've said it and, and people don't like it. Sure. And and we said this. When we say that, we're not joining a political movement. Right. We're trying we're not trying to promote an organization because there's an organization. What we're trying to say is that Black Lives Matter. And unfortunately, and, and I'll say this, and you can react. No, I want you to react to it, and then I'll say what I want to say. Okay. But when people say Black Lives Matter and someone says all lives matter. Sure. Well, well it, what does the black community hear? It's it's a little bit offensive to the black community. Uh, because because it's almost as if to say that that the black community is is being impartial. We're not being impartial. We just want things to be fair and just uh, because things have been so out of balance for so many years. And so um, to say that, you know, it, it's almost like it's almost like a white person saying, I'm not a racist because I have a white friend. It, that's like me saying, you know, I have a scalpel, so I'm a doctor. I like it. Yeah, so it, it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. There's no rhyme or reason to that. Let me, let me share these definitions, and then, and then I want you to listen to these definitions, and I, and I prayerfully, um, maybe, we can, maybe we can see a little bit clearer. Let, let me say okay. this about before we leave Black Lives Matter. Okay. You need to understand something that, and I'll give an analogy, but if, if my daughter came to me and said, Daddy, do you love me? And I said, oh, Daddy loves everybody. It's true, but it's hurtful. Yeah, that's right. And Very we good. have, listen, what I, what I want us to understand is our black brothers and sisters are hurting. Yeah. And here's why they're hurting. The same reason you hurt. When your pain is not validated, it is hard for it to be healed. Yeah. And, and when we say black lives matter, we're not saying white lives don't matter. That's stupid. Right. What we're saying, again, like he said, is, Right now, there's there's some people hurting, and that's by the way, Jesus, Luke chapter four. I came to preach the gospel to the poor. Nobody jumped up and said, "Well, what about the rich?" <laughs> that's right. I came to preach the gospel to the blind. Well, what about those that can see? Yeah. yeah. I came to preach the gospel to the brute. Well, wait about the people that's not been beat. Did you want to preach the gospel to them, Jesus? Of course you did. No, but the gospel is always aimed at who hurts the most. Yeah. It's yeah. aimed at who is oppressed the most. Yeah. That's what it's always aimed. By the way, we love the book of Proverbs. And do you understand the two words used for wisdom and Proverbs carry the connotation of social justice, that a wise person is a person who cares about social justice issues. That's why it talks about you know, giving to the poor. is like lending to God because it's, it's the issues of social justice. That's what wise people do. And the gospel is, I mean, justice is the foundation of the throne of God. It's who he is. Yeah. And 
this why we need. Okay, let's talk terminology. Yeah, I mean, let's talk terminology. I just needed to I, say I'm that. How much time we have? So you have. We, to we're going to be here till the next group arrives. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs> um. So, so what, what is racial prejudice? Let, let's let's talk about that. Racial. I have three definitions, and maybe maybe you'll maybe you you'll see one of these. Maybe operating in your own life, and if if you do, then just kind of allow God to minister to that. Um, racial prejudice. Number one, it is a prejudice. It's a prejudice of prejudice is preconceived preferences or biases. Preconceived preferences. Or biases. That, that's that's the first definition. The second one is irrational suspicion or hatred of a particular race, group, or religion. And we find that in Ahmaud Arbery's, Arbery's case, it was an irrational suspicion, and that so many many black boys are are being killed or um, just uh, unlawfully imprisoned. They're just walking down the street with a hoodie, and someone makes a phone call and says, "Hey, you know, there's this kid walking down the neighborhood, walking down the street, looks suspicious." And so, but but the suspicion is irrational. And so our, our, our black boys are being stopped and frisked for no reason. We're just walking down the street. And that, that happens a lot. It, it becomes irrational. Even, even myself, I've even, I've even walked, if I'm walking through a parking lot, you know, and I, I walk past a, a, a white person's car, I can hear the door click, click. And they sit there like they're not, you know, like there's waiting on me to touch their car. I was like, lady, I don't, I'm not coming in your car. There's, there's nothing in your car that I want bad enough to break in and steal it. You know, and, and so, so sometimes those, that suspicion is irrational. Uh, and, and thirdly, passing judgment or forming an opinion about a person before you meet them or know them. We already pass an opinion. You see a black guy with dreadlocks. Walking down the street, maybe him and his a couple of buddies, and automatically you say, "Well, they're up to no good." Like, like, like would would you be would you be quicker to say if it was a group of white boys walking down the street? Would you be would you feel the urge to call the police on a group of white boys walking down the street, or would you feel more of an urge to call the police if it was a group of white excuse me black boys walking down the street? Which would you feel the more urge to call the police concerning? And why? Well, well if, if, if you say, well, probably the black kids, well, then the question is, the question is why? Well, it's because there's, deep down inside, there's, there's, there's some racial prejudice there. There's, there's, a, there's a preconceived notion. Now, those boys haven't done anything. They're just walking down the street. They're committing no crime. But something in you will say, yeah, if I saw some black kids in our neighborhood, I would probably, I'd probably watch them. Oh, I'd probably call the HOA director and have her to follow them around the neighborhood or something. The lady with the chainsaw, anyway. Um, yeah. Oh, the commercial. <laughs> probably yeah, probably, probably call her and have her to. <laughs> but that, you know, when you, and this is what you need to understand. We all have bias. Sure. Every person has bias. Mm -hmm. And bias are typically subconscious until they're triggered. And then they can remain subconscious. But if you don't think you have bias, let me just say a couple words. Uh, Democrat. Uh-oh. Let me say another one. Republican. Right? How about another one? Corporate America. Right? It, 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 we all have bias. And, and bias has a lot to do just with our experiences. It can have a lot to do with how we grow up. It can be a lot to do, not even things we're taught, but things we observe or see. Yeah. And, um, and the point is, like... Uh, 
Eric was saying is you may not know you have a bias right. until you see a black man in a parking lot and you grab your purse and walk the other way. Yeah. And, and you, maybe you would do that if it were a white man, but this is where you have to start saying, okay, God, is there something in me? Yeah. Is there, it's, you know, and, and then when we turn that to, because this is the big buzzword, but it's, it's a true thing, systemic racism. Right. Because there's, there's bias, which is subconscious. There's prejudice, where I make a judgment before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's racist, which can be anything from hatred to prejudice. Um, but when we look, and this is what we're saying, the Civil Rights Act didn't change racism. It just found different ways. And now you're hearing systemic racism. Yeah. Because what what I um, I told you I said um, if uh, if I see a police officer pulling me over right like I, my pulse doesn't change right mine does but and you said yours yours does now yeah. you you you've never been in jail no no never been arrested yeah <laughs> yeah but but I I said and and then I thought about this after our conversation mm-hmm. when my son was sixteen. Um, he, someone actually gave him a car and, and when he got the car, the way our insurance is, it's automatically covered for like 30 days, but we didn't have time to change registration because on the weekend, but he's 16 wants to drive his car. So I said, uh, well go drive it. And I said, he said, well, if I get pulled over, I said, if you just get pulled over, just explain what happened and tell him to call me. Yeah. And what I'm going to say, cause we didn't talk about this, but. If we were a black family, that wouldn't be a smart thing to do, would it? No, no. Um, as a black family, what, what we, have to, we have to teach our kids is uh, it's, almost, it's almost submission. And that, that's difficult. It's difficult to tell your son who you're trying to raise him to be a man and to, um, to be able to stand up for himself and speak up for himself that in this case, speaking up for yourself may not be the best option. Um, we may have to go back later and get a lawyer. I just need you to get home safe. So when you just get to me, get back home safe. When you get back home safe, if, if there was something uh, that happened wrong, um, we'll we'll have to go find a lawyer and we'll have to uh, we'll we'll fight it in court. But I don't want you fighting it. I don't want you having that conversation on the side of the road with a police officer. And here's what I want you to hear. Again, we don't think all police officers bad. Right. But what we just watched tells us there are some out there. Sure. And you don't know. And, and what we need to be, this is what I'm growing to understand, because I sat at a table, and it was uh, Bishop Nelson, and we were talking about, you know, these type of issues, this is several years ago. And I realized that when, when my son started driving, I had a conversation, like, if you're pulled over, be respectful, say yes, sir, say no, sir. But then he said, for, for my son, for, for the young men in my church, there's another conversation. True. You change the way you talk. Yeah. You, you put your hands on the dash. You roll all the windows down. Because, we want, because the color of your skin has already served as an escalation in the situation. Yeah. Like it's, well, it's already at a different level than if my son... We're sure. being pulled over because systemically, systemically, uh, black people have been perceived as a threat, 
It's, it's, it's much like when, when Israel came close to, to, to Moab and Balaam looks over, he sees all these people and Balaam calls Balak and says, hey, they need to be cursed. And that's kind of the way it is. And I think, I think one, one of the things that, that I, I know you may be hearing this and say, oh, that's, that's illogical. That doesn't make sense. Why would you teach your, your kids to do that? Well, 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 what you guys need to know is that um, Longview is 70, 75% white. We're only 20% black. We're 20% black, but we are 40, we make up 40% of the arrest population uh, in Longview. And that's, that's just in Longview. That's just a stat for Longview. And it, it's even worse in other places of the world where, where a black boy, he's between seven and 10 times more likely to be arrested and incarcerated for the same offense that uh, is incurred by a white boy or even a white girl. Um, so, so with those stats, it, it just, it causes us like this is, this is disproportionate. And there's, there's a huge disparity, huge disparity there. Why? Because, because crime is not a black issue or a white issue. Crime is a poverty issue. Yeah. You take a white man and a black man, put both of them in poverty, both of them will, will commit the same level of crime. So it's, it's, not a, it's not just, you know, the black people are committing crime because statistically speaking, white people commit just as many crime, just as much crime, if not more, than the black community. But the issue is, is uh, you guys know heard, heard the term redlining? There, there was a, there was a time when black people couldn't live in certain places in the city. You couldn't live in Wildwood, or you couldn't live on the north side of town because because banks would not loan you money to buy a house. Once they go and say Google the location, they would not loan you money to live in a certain area. So so the black population was forced to live on the southern side. Now we're just talking about Longview, the southern side of Longview, and that's the way it was for for many years. And so what happens now is. You have, you have these black people who've been redlined to one particular side of town and they're not given the same opportunities as, as our, our white brothers and sisters. They're not given the same opportunities. So now policing becomes really easy. It becomes really easy because because typically someone who is a, a white person who is poor they're not they're not confined to just one side of town. They they may live on a back road somewhere down a dirt road. They may live you know kind of a more more spread out. So when it comes to uh, I, I guess I guess the 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 mass incarceration it becomes easy. Just go on the black side of town, pull somebody over that runs a stop sign, or pull somebody over that that has a, a tail light out. And so you go there, then it kind of escalates. Now he's in handcuffs. Now he's in the back of the car, and he doesn't know why in the world he's in jail. And and I could go on and on about that. But but then he 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 gets to jail, um, and then he can't afford a lawyer, so he gets a court appointed lawyer. The court appointed lawyer says, "Okay, you have to take this plea deal. You have to take this plea deal. If you plead guilty, then you've got to go before the judge, and this judge is really mean. He's probably going to give you ten years in prison. Or if you plead, if you plead, in, excuse me, if you plead innocent." Um, he'll give you, he, um, you'll stand before the judge. If you plead guilty, I can get you a lesser charge. So now the black boy is scratching their head saying, wait a minute, if, I'm, if I plead innocent because I was innocent, I've got to go before the judge and the judge will give me 10 years? Or if I plead guilty, you can give me a lesser sentence? And so what does he do? He can't afford a lawyer, so what does he do? He pleads guilty. He takes a lesser charge. He goes to prison. Now, when he comes out, now that's when the that, that's when we call the that's when the legal racism happens now, because now he can't vote, can't own a firearm, he can't run for any political office, um, he can't get public housing, he can't even get on welfare now, he can't get a loan, he can, then he can't get a job because he's got this he's got this felony uh, on his on his record. 
And so now you can legally say, no, we're not going to hire you. You can legally say that now. You can legally say, we're not going to give you this house. We can, you can legally say that. And so then what happens now? Then he's right back doing the same thing because he's trying to eat. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure out how to survive, and he can't. And so that's just one of the things that uh, I think the but, church has to do a better job of. But this happened. And listen, this you go I've, like I've done a lot of research. Everything you're saying, you can find the statistics. In fact, right. uh, if if they're 18 years old, 18 and 19, uh, for the same crime, the the black young man is uh, is incarcerated uh, 13 times more. Sure, sure. And of course, I have an 18 year old son, and I started just thinking about the the disparity in the two, because what we talked about is true. If my son, let's say he got caught with drugs, and he, he wouldn't, but I'm just saying, if he got caught with drugs, um, because of his race and because I'm white, more than likely he's not going to jail. Right. Um, and then for the rest of his life, maybe that's on his record for a little while, but he may, you know, it, it may could be expunged or whatever. But here, when he goes to get a job, He's a white boy. Oh, his dad's a minister. Yeah. And I can make a call, and they're still going to hire him because it's going to be, well, that was a mistake. Yeah. Now, the black young man, he, it could be everything the same. But in our system, what we've, what we've seen, mm-hmm. right? We're not, and again, we're not against the system. We're not, but what we've seen is he's probably going to jail. Yeah. And once he gets out of jail, there's not going to be someone that can call and say, give him a chance. He made a mistake. Yeah. That, that, there's, and, a name, and there, then, there's a name for that. There's a name for that. Uh, we call it white privilege. Now, we don't like that word. And many, many times. No, let's word, explain yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, white, it's white privilege because, because. And when you say white privilege, you, the black community is not mad at us for being white. No, 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 no. That'd be not. silly. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But they're not. describing something they've seen and experienced. Right. We're, we're, descri- we're describing a system that is, that is uh, more favorable toward white people than it is toward black people. Um, it just means that, that there is a, uh, there's a caste system that is, in, that is existing, if you will, a caste system that, that almost ranks races. You know, if, if I if I had to, if I asked you guys to to rank the races uh, from seniority down to those that are less with less seniority, most of you, if, if we're honest, we would say, well, the, the white people we rank at the top because we're we're leading in our nation, we're leading in in politics, we're leading in government, we're leading in finance. So you, you would kind of rank yourself top. Then who would be second underneath you? Who would be second? You know, and so then you, you'd kind of rank them, maybe black, maybe Hispanic, maybe Asian or Indian or whatever. You just kind of rank that caste system. And it is, it is that system, that ranking, that, that invisible ranking that, that, that gives white people a privilege that, that black people have yet to experience at that level. And, you know, let me explain, because if, you, if you're offended by the, the idea of white privilege, I think you need to understand, first of all, like like Eric said, all they're pointing out is something they've observed. Right. But let me give you an example um, of of what we're talking about. Miles um, McPherson, who's uh, pastors the Rock Church in San Diego, California, incredible guy, incredible. And uh, did you catch it? That's incredible. There you go. And so I have a new adjective for the next <laughs> service. Um, but he wrote a book called The Third Option, 
and, and he's African-American pastor, um, but he wrote a book called The Third Option, and he gives this analogy, and he says the analogy is that, because he played sports, he was actually in the NFL, but he said the sports world is uh, more centered around right-handed people. Yeah. And, and I know this because I'm a hunter and, and I have guns. And if you don't like that, today's not the day to email me. Um, but I actually, even though I'm right-handed, I'm left-eye dominant, meaning I shoot left-handed. Mm. And it is, it is hard to just walk in a store and buy a left-handed rifle. Wow, yeah. You typically have to order them. In some, like you may want a rifle and they're like, well, they don't make a left-handed rifle in, in that particular maker model. And so here's what I say. If you're right-handed, you have an advantage right. when it comes to buying a baseball glove yeah. or buying a gun because the system yeah. prefers right-handed yeah. right people. That's right. Right. It was created by right-handed people for right-handed right people. people. Right, very good. And I think what we don't understand is, and, and please hear my heart on this, and I don't want to offend anybody, but the black community wasn't allowed to vote until 1965. Right. All the laws that were created... And the system of our country, and, and both of us, Pastor Eric served in the military. I love my country. We're just trying to talk about a problem. Right. But the systems were created to give white people an advantage because they were created by white people for white people. That's right. And I mean, it was 100 years ago, but, but it, well, less than 100 years ago, that African-American people were considered three-fifths human. That's right in order to keep them oppressed and in slavery. And in fact, you said this, and I went and I checked you out because I'm going to go Google it. Please do. That's but you said, yeah. you said, do you know why the police department was created? Mm -hmm. and, and I said, no. T tell him what, because by the way, what he's about to say, you find it on Google, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and well, I checked more than one source before I gave it. You didn't check it. I, I checked it. Yeah, well, I asked him. I asked him about the police system. You know, does he you know why the police system, why the police was created? And it's, it's right after the abolition of slavery, where we had free slaves, and some slaves, the slave owners would not give them papers so that they could be free. So they would they would just leave the plantation. Well, um, when they would leave, uh, you had these slaves walking around without papers, as it were, and you had citizens going after them, people leaving the, uh, the farm to go after them or leaving the plantation to go after these slaves. And so instead of having citizens go after them, these uh, colonists, as it were, were decided, hey, let's, let's get a group of people together and let's have them go and police the slaves. And let's have them go and to get them to bring them back. Um, if they don't have papers, then what we're going to do is we're going to start this penal system and we're going to imprison them. And now um, we'll, we'll set a system where they're still working, but now they have to work. In, they, have, they work now in what's called a what's called a penal system. And that's kind of where the, the, the penal system started and where the police where the police started. I asked Pastor Martis, do you think the police was designed to keep white people in line? Do you think the police was designed to keep white people in line? And of course, he's looking at me much like y'all looking at me now, like, I don't know, I never thought about that. Well, well, it wasn't. It was designed to keep black people in line. 
Now, thank goodness that we do, it's, it's evolved over time, and thank goodness that, you know, we, we do have some good police officers, but still, much in part, black people are still being incarcerated at a greater rate, and uh, the crime rate, the, the crime rate is going down, but the incarceration rate of black people is still up. And, you know, you, you said this um, a little bit ago, but, but I want to point out that um, that when you impoverish or oppress white people, mm-hmm. they act just like what you think black people act like. That's right. And the statistics, by the way, you can find all these statistics, but even out of Chicago, what they're seeing now is that when you, see, because what we did, we redlined districts, mm-hmm. we forced the black people in there, we wouldn't loan money to the black people, we wouldn't, we wouldn't make that part of the town better. That's right. So it's more impoverished and it's more concentrated with a certain color. And then the crime rate goes up and yeah. we blame it on the color of the skin. Right. When truthfully, the statistics will tell you the problem is poverty. When you have impoverished people, impoverished mindsets, and when you, and when you have hopelessness, it, it doesn't matter what the color is, you're going to get the same thing. Yeah, that's right. You're going to see crime rate go up. You're going to see teenage pregnancy go up. And, and I mean, and I don't, I don't mean, let me just throw something harsh here. It, not harsh, but, you know, all this talk about planned pregnancy. You understand it's the most racist and hateful thing that was ever created because planned pregnancy was created to offer abortions to black teenage mothers. Yeah, yeah. By people that wanted to... Yeah, it's true. And so what we're saying is there's 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 a, a, a there was a system. There is. There and, is. and I mean, even after the abolition of slavery, then you have policing. And again, we don't think police officers are bad. We think there are many, many, many wonderful. Most of our police officers are wonderful men and women who serve. And we are so grateful for them. But there's still a system and there's bias that is passed along. That's right. And there's systems, right? Because even after the abolition of slavery, then you get Jim Crow laws, which you understand Jim Crow, you understand, like, I don't know if people understand this, but we talked about this. Jim Crow was, was like a, for lack of a better, he was, they called them minstrels, but they were white people who black faced themselves, praise the Lord, to make fun of black people. Yeah. And, and one of those characters was Jim Crow. And so then they had the Jim Crow laws, which was separate but equal. And if you've ever viewed the pictures, they weren't equal. They were separate, but they yeah. weren't equal. Yeah. And I'm just saying these are not hundreds of years ago. I mean, it was 55 years ago was the Civil Rights Act. Right. And for, you know, when, when they asked Jesus, I'm about to put one of those, Eric Love, watch this. Because <laughs> if he ever says, watch this, he's about to hit you with something. <laughs> like, like truth bombs or something like that. But when they asked Jesus, who's your neighbor? Yeah. Who's your neighbor? First of all, you understand he told him a racial story. Very racial, yeah. But he said, when who's your neighbor, he said there, there was a, a, basically a Jewish man who was robbed and beaten. Mm-hmm. And then a Levite mm-hmm. and a priest go by the church and they walked on the other side of the street and said, we won't get involved in that. That's right. And then he said, then came a good Samaritan. You understand the racial divide between Jews and Samaritans? 
Like, yeah. study your Bible. By the way, racism is throughout the entire... The blood of Jesus was aimed at racism. Yeah, yeah. He said, by his blood, he has torn down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. From one blood, Acts 17, he has made all people groups. Yeah. yeah. Ethnos, people groups. But he said, who's your neighbor? And this is what he said. It's a racial story. Yeah. And he said, here's your neighbor, the one that's hurting the one that's bleeding. He's like, this is where, and, and, and I think for the church, I don't mean this in a bad way because, you know, I even, you know, even last night I was texting with, with, with Pastor Mark and I said, he said, how are you feeling? I said, I, I'm hopeful, but I am nervous because I don't want to offend white people, but I want white people to understand sure. that it's the experience you had growing up and the experience I had growing up are not the same. That's right. And the church can't just pass by on the other side of the road anymore That's right. That's right. and pretend that someone has not been beaten or yeah. hurt or That's abused right. or That's oppressed. Right. That's right. It's time for us to get involved. Yeah. Because we need to see, listen, we need to see a change in the church house. And then we'll see maybe a change in the courthouse. That's right. That's right. And... I'm just saying, you know, to to your point, I just I, me, my my burden is I want people to understand. Well, let me share this, and I'll say this, and I've got I've got a definition I want to share. Um, but what if what if God said that if there's racism in your heart, you can't make it into heaven? Would that cause you to lower your guards and say, "Whoa"? Let me, let me check my heart. Let, let me make sure that that's not in my heart. Um, and, and so I, I want to share with you four kinds of racial prejudice. And again, if you, if, if you, fit, if you see yourself in this, because I've had, to, I've had to examine my own heart, even my own church. Four types of racial prejudice. Number one is generational prejudice. It's hereditary. This was a prejudice that was, that was uh, beliefs or false concept that was passed down from one generation, from teaching, teaching or modeling. It was things that you heard in your home, things you heard your dad say, your dad's friends, your mom, your mom's friends. It was kind of passed down. Then there's environmental prejudice, where, uh, where it's pressure from your environment. It's environmental prejudice. Um, uh, where some, one of your friends say, oh, you're hanging out with this black guy. Why are you hanging out with him? And, you know, you just kind of hear those terms. Are you going to eat with this black family? Why are you going to eat with them? Um, I, I, even, even, I, even I catch it. Even I catch it, believe it or not, because I have, I have black pastors that may come to me and say, hey, what are you doing over there at that white church? I saw you. I saw, <laughs> yeah, I saw you. On t- what are you doing over there with that white church? Um, um, don't, don't, don't trust them. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that environmental thing. It's things that, that, are, that you're around because nobody's born. Nobody's born prejudiced. We're not born that way. They're not born that way. Yeah. You take white kids yeah. and black kids yeah. and put them in the yeah. same room and they're going to play. They're just yeah. going to play their kids. That's right. they're, they're, they're not, they don't care what color you are. Well, my, my, my son, when he came home from school, he didn't say, I played with the white boy today. I played with the black boy. He just called their name. I had no idea what color those kids were. Yeah. I had no idea. So, it, because it doesn't, it, it it doesn't matter to them, but they, these things these things are born are, are are trained into us. Then there's reactionary prejudice, and that that's that's what many black people are experiencing. It's reactionary. It is is a response to a bias or a prejudice. If you don't like me, then I don't like you. 
if you're going to lock your door, then I'm not going to speak to you because if you're going to clutch your purse when I walk by, I'm, I don't want your purse. So it's kind of a reactionary prejudice. It's because you did something to me, now I'm doing something yeah. back to you. That's and I'm, you don't like me, that's okay. I'm, I just won't like you either. And then lastly, it's institutional, what we call systematic prejudice. It's when a, group, a group's behavior is influenced in its decision, decisions by the skin color. It's when systems seem to be fair for everyone but make things worse for one group of people. So that's, that's the systematic thing that, that, that's happening in our society. And you know, we as a church, like Pastor, Pastor Marty said, we as a church, um, God is calling us to change that. He's calling us to, to not yeah. sit on the sideline and say something. I, I, mentioned, I mentioned a story about, about the football game. Now think about this. The football game is happening. The other team is winning. Your sons have just been face masked three times in a row. The call has been made. How would you feel if people from the other team started to say, hey, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not fair. Yeah. How would you feel if a mom from the opposing team yeah. stands up and says, wait a minute. I want our team to win, but yeah. not like that. Yeah. That's, that's, not, that's not fair. Yeah. Hold up. Time out. What if the coaches on the other team says, okay, guys, okay, L you know, let's, let's call a timeout. Let's, let us talk to the refs. And let's say to the refs, refs, that's not. How would you feel yeah. if the opposing team saw what your sons were going through and the opposing team says, no, we're on your side now. Yeah. Because we see that this is not right. Yeah. If we're yeah. going to win, we're going to we're going to let's let's win together. We're going to do this the right way. Yeah. So that's how Black America wants to be treated from White America to say, you know what? We 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 saw what happened to George Floyd. No, that's that's not right. We we saw what happened to the six boys in Jenna, Louisiana. We we saw that. No, we we saw what happened to Mon Aubrey. No, you know. No, that's, 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 not, that's not right. And so just, just consider that. And I just ask you just to search your hearts. And I pray that you allow the Spirit of God to move on your hearts. And, and, uh, because I know that God wants to do something through Pathway and Church on Purpose and all the other churches. So God bless you guys. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, that's, that's so good. Um. I'm going to share something because I feel like I need to, and uh, I understand it will probably upset somebody, um, and I'm sorry in advance. But in, in 2016, and I think I shared this with you, um, when I had to speak on racism, I, 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 it meant I had to prepare my own heart for it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, again, most white people, well, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm, I don't, I mean, I really don't, I don't know, but surely to God, there's nobody in our church that's, that's racist in the area of hatred. But there, just like you said, there's a lot of ways that prejudice comes out and there's bias. And we have, we can't search our own hearts. Um, we, we have to ask God to search our hearts. But when I was praying and I said, God, I, I don't, 
want to be biased. I don't want to be prejudiced. Four years ago, I said, search me. Is there anything in me? And the Holy Spirit asked me a question. And, and I'm going to tell, tell you my experience. If it offends you, I'm sorry. But the Holy Spirit said, if one of your children wanted to marry a person of color, would that be okay with you? Mm-hmm. And I knew when he was saying it, he wasn't asking for information. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I really wrestled with that, not because my, I thought, no, I don't, but I thought, he's telling me there's something in me. Yeah. He's telling me there's a bias in me. Yeah. And um, I wrestled that out to where I came to God. The only thing I want is a person who loves you and good character and who will love them. And if they're Mary Mariah, that they're rich. Yeah. (laughs) Because girls got some expensive taste, I'm just telling you. But I'm just saying, and, and again, this is about searching our hearts yeah. and looking inside us because, and hear my heart on this, please, and just forgive me if it offends you, but the white church has got to stop with the, well, black people can be on our worship teams and black people can usher us in and they're, they're good enough to sing in our choir and yeah. they're maybe even good enough to serve in our children's ministry. I'm asking, but... Is a person of color good enough to be in your family? Yeah. And and again, if that offends, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if it offends you. I'm just telling you my journey. But what I realize is that we have to deal here first. That's right. Like we have to be honest here first. Then, because we need to help, and and you know, obviously we're not for violent protest but peaceful protest praise god but i told pastor eric i said some of the most powerful images of the civil rights movement you'll ever see is when you see white people yeah yeah standing alongside black people saying exactly what he said there's been a foul here and we need something to change yeah that's right but i think before we can get there we got to start here and say, God, if there's racism in me, if there's prejudice, if there's bias, those things are ugly. Yeah. And they're sinful. They're right. And I need to do something about this. Then we can do something about this. Yeah. Then we can do something about our country. I think we are at past time, but I've had a lot of fun with you. Yeah, me too. We're going to do it again. Let's do it again. Yeah, man. That's incredible. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Pastor Eric and Miss Katrina. <laughs> Jerome, um, and uh, I'm about to head out on sabbatical, so I'm just going to make lots of problems, and then the staff will clean it up, <laughs> and you'll be back in a few weeks. I will. He's going to speak for I us will. during sabbatical, Woo-hoo! and uh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pastor Eric, would you pray for us? Certainly. Would you pray for us as we close out? Certainly. I, I, look at me. I want, y'all, I want to say this to you. Th- thank you for embracing the conversation. These conversations are not easy. I've had many of them. They're not easy. But I thank you, Pathway. Thank you, Pastor Marty. Thank you, guys, for just for being open. Because this, this is where it starts. It starts with having these conversations, opening our hearts, and say, like, like, like David said, he said, he said, created me a clean heart. Renew the right spirit 
within me. Because I don't, my grandmama used to tell me, and then we're going to pray. My grandmother said, she said, baby, don't miss heaven over one thing. Don't let one thing cause you to, to miss heaven. And, and you know, and I, I, I've, I've always just carried that in my heart. And I don't want to miss heaven because there's something in me that I fail to deal with. And I just believe, I believe with my whole heart that God is pulling this world back together. I believe that the world is so fragmented and so broken. And I believe that God wants to do it through his church. He wants to do it. And I see it happening. Like Pastor Marty said, I've, I've been so encouraged to see so many white people marching and so many people standing alongside of our hurting brothers and sisters and saying, you know what? We see it now and this isn't right. Now, for those of you who are still on the fence and you're still kind of wondering, I'm just praying. I'm praying that you can, all black people want, we just want you to see the system. See the system. We don't need pity. We don't want to be pitied. We don't want somebody to pat us, on, pat us on the back and, oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. We just need you to see the system. To see that things are unfair. And in your area, your circle of influence, do something about it. Don't entertain racist jokes. If somebody's around you making racist jokes, man, you stamp that out and say, no, we don't, I don't make those types of jokes. I don't, I don't make those types of comments. Stamp those things out. And I think that if we all do our part, if we all do a little bit, then eventually we'll start to see, we'll start to see change. We'll start to see change. I, I took a bowl of water one time and I was doing a demonstration with my daughter and I was talking about change. And, and we took a spatula, we put it in the water, we turned the water around really, really fast, really, really fast. And the water was twirling, twirling around. Then I took a pencil. I took that little pencil, I put it in that same bowl of water and as I turned that pencil against the current and for a while it seemed like nothing was changing the water was still swirling real fast and I just had that pencil and I was going around the opposite direction and it didn't seem like anything was happening but you know what started happening after a while I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit I started turning that water and just that one little pencil you know what happened after a while I had to keep turning and 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 eventually the water that was spinning real fast in one direction now the water started to turn it started to turn in the direction of my pencil and I had to tell my daughter sometimes sometimes it takes the little turns it takes the little turns in our hearts it takes the little things the little yeah. things that we can say and eventually if you just keep turning and keep turning and keep turning eventually all the water in the bowl now is turning in the direction of that pencil. So listen, we've got to keep turning. And it seems like yeah. we're turning against a mighty current. But guess what? If we keep turning, the power of God is going to manifest in our hearts and manifest in our lives and manifest in our churches. And eventually, a whole generation is going to turn because we have to leave this world better than we found it. We've got to leave Longview better than we found it. And how do we do it? One turn at a time. Guess what? I'm willing to turn. Are you willing to turn? Are you willing to make the turn? I'm willing to turn. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing of God and I feel his presence in this place. Let's pray. He asked me to praise. I'm going to be obedient. I'll preach when I come back. <laughs> Father, God, you are so amazing. And you love all of us the same. And we honor you for that. 
Lord, we repent as a nation, as a church, for being so caught up in our day-to-day activity, Lord God, that we sometimes fail to see the things that you've been showing to us. But Father, I thank you today that we put the pencil in the water. Today, we go against the current, the current of this nation, the current of this society, God, and we, we choose to do something different. We choose to go against social norms and we, we choose to go against social injustice. We choose because God, we know that that's what you chose. Like Pastor Marty mentioned, it was your blood that came against social injustice. It was your blood that was applied to those that were hurting. So Lord, we pray today, God, that you would search our hearts. We open our hearts to you today. If you find anything in us, if there's any prejudice, any, any unhealthy bias, any, any, any injustice, any racism in our heart, if you find it there, God, expose it to us that we may repent of it. And Father, help us to love the way you love. Break our hearts for the things that breaks yours. Father, help us to love people that don't look like us, people that don't live where we live. Help us to love everyone, Lord God. Because God, that was a command that you gave to us. Help us to keep that command to love God and to love people. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Father, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, thank you, amen. Pastor Eric, for being here. And amen. <laughs> I want to say thank you, church, for, for listening and uh, for letting God do something in all of us now you got to get out of here in a hurry (laughs) and so i love you so much if you need prayer please text prayer to the number on the screen we say a big god bless you we love you we'll see you next weekend and uh yeah let's go let's go stir the water let's go make a change Amen. amen